Good morning. Please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word this morning. Verses 12 to 27. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF, and I want to pause for a moment and just say something real quick, and that is simply this. Uh, it is a huge blessing and privilege to be able to pastor here at GCF North. I don't say this often enough, but overall, this church is a very encouraging church, a very generous church, a very godly church, a very committed church, and so thank you uh, for giving me the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors. With that said, let's, let's pause once again and pray and ask for God's blessing as we look at this passage this morning. Father, we are so thankful for giving us so many reasons to sing this morning. Father, we're so thankful for this glorious text in front of us. Lord, we confess this morning that nothing good will happen unless you send the Spirit to open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Father, we are dependent on you more than we even know or think or can imagine. And so right now, we cast ourselves on your mercy and ask for you to work, to bring about encouragement and conviction uh, and conversion as the word of God goes forth this morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Around 155 AD, Polycarp, the aged bishop of Smyrna, stood in front of a massive crowd in the middle of an arena. What was his crime? As a Christian, he refused to give allegiance to Caesar. The magistrate pressed him and said, swear the oath to Caesar and I will release you. Renounce Christ. Polycarp said, 
86 years I have been Christ's servant, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The magistrate said, I will throw you to the wild beasts if you do not change your attitude. Polycarp responded, call the beasts. The magistrate said, if you make light of the beasts, you'll be consumed by fire. Polycarp replied, you try to frighten me with the fire that burns for an hour, and you forget the fire of hell that is never quenched. A few moments later, soldiers lit the kindling around Polycarp's body. When the flames did not consume him quick enough, a soldier mercifully speared him in the chest, killing him. Now, Polycarp heroically refused in this moment to deny Jesus. And when Christians hear stories like this, stories of courage and sacrifice, stories where Christians refuse to deny Jesus, we are all inspired, or we should be inspired, but we're all weak, aren't we? We often fail to speak up for Christ when tested. We are often a lot more like Peter in John 18 than Polycarp in the second century. Now this text in front of us raises several really important questions. The most important question is this. When our faith is tested, will you and I deny Jesus? Excuse me. Said another way, many people over the years have denied Christ when the pressure is on. Will you? Now, to help us understand this text, we're going to look at the two main figures in this text who deny Christ. There's the denial of Annas and the denial of Peter. Let's look at both these figures in detail. First is the denial of Annas. What, what did Annas specifically deny? And the answer is, uh, Annas specifically denied Jesus' justice. Look with me uh, at verses 12 and following. But let me provide some context briefly. In the previous 11 verses, we learned that Jesus was betrayed by his friend Judas in the garden, and then he was arrested. And we pick up the story in verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Verse 13, first they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, who was Annas? Annas held the office of high priest from 86 to AD 15. He was a very, very influential and important leader uh, in Israel's history. Uh, he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and at the point of the story, Caiaphas is the real high priest, and Annas, his father-in-law, really is the high priest emeritus. He's still a very much well-respected high priest, and he still main, maintains that title um, of high priest. Back to our story. The soldiers take Jesus to Annas first, since he is the high priest emeritus. Verse 19, the high priest, referring to Annas, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. 
When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus essentially says to Annas as he's being questioned, I've done nothing subversive or illegal in the last three years. If you want to know what I taught, ask those that I taught. Essentially, he's saying, do you, do you really care about my teaching? And the answer is, no, they don't. At this point, Christ's opponents have nothing to say, no counterpoints, no verbal rebuttals, because Jesus is innocent. So as a result, they resort to violence, and someone there reaches out and strikes Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? In other words, Jesus implies that he is being denied justice. Unfortunately, his opponents had no intention of providing him with justice. Their minds are already made up. They think he is guilty. Verse 24, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So here's a summary of what's happened so far. Christ is arrested, and he's brought before Annas, the high priest emeritus, for a trial that really was a farce of a trial, a preliminary trial. And after the hearing proved nothing, Jesus is then transferred to the acting high priest, Caiaphas, for a full trial before the Sanhedrin. And that's next week's text. But here's the takeaway for now. Christ is denied any semblance of justice. Well, how do we know? This farce of a trial was in violation of many of the standards of justice of Jesus' day. What do I mean? Here's some examples. They had to hastily assemble a court at night, even though it was illegal to try cases during the evening. They met in Annas' palace, not in the official court, which is against the law. Jesus was being tried during the Passover week, which was also illegal according to Jewish law. He was arrested without proper charges based on the witness of a bribed accomplice, also against the law. No testimony in favor of the accused was sought or permitted, also against Jewish law. Jesus was directly examined, also against Jewish law. And Jesus was convicted by a unanimous vote, which was also against Jewish law, because it was considered evidence of a biased court. All this to say, these leaders did not give Jesus a fair trial. They denied him justice in his hour of greatest need. Now, maybe you've been denied justice as well. Maybe you've been denied justice at work, overlooked by a boss, maybe undervalued at home, ignored by a coach, or cheated by a teacher or friend. If you've been denied justice, there's somewhere you can go. You can go to Jesus more than anyone else in the world. He knows exactly what it's like to be denied justice. He was the only perfect person to ever live. He deserved perfect justice. Instead, he stood on trial before a kangaroo court, and this whole thing was a farce of justice. He was denied justice by Annas. Now, in one sense, this makes sense, because Annas was not a disciple. He was not a follower of Christ. So it makes sense. It seems obvious or logical that Annas would deny Jesus. But what's really shocking in the story is the fact that Peter would deny Jesus. And we turn next to him, and we'll spend most of our time looking at Peter and his denial of Christ. 
So first, the, de- the denial of Annas, and second, the denial of Peter. And this, the, this denial of Peter is shocking considering what we know about Peter in the rest of the New Testament. Peter was a passionate leader. He was courageous. He left all to follow Jesus. He spent three whole years with Jesus, the Son of God, hearing his teaching, watching Christ perform countless miracles. He was willing to step out in faith numerous times, risking all to follow Jesus. Yet in this story, he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Three times he denied Jesus. Let's examine each denial in some detail. Peter's first denial is seen in John 18, 15 to 17, where we read, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. This is probably a reference to John, the author of this gospel. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. In this moment, a very non-threatening servant girl asked Peter a relatively benign question, and he instantly cowers in fear. Peter's failure here reveals frailty that is really common to all of us, isn't it? What about a second denial? That's recorded for us in verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And his third denial is recorded for us in 26 and 27. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And now as soon as Peter denies Christ a third time, the rooster crows, which reminds Peter of the fact that just a few days beforehand, Christ promised, Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And that was after Peter boasted that he would never, ever forsake or deny Jesus. But very quickly, Christ's prophecy came true. And in that moment, I'm sure that Peter felt a massive mixture of regret and failure and shame and guilt. And as a result, according to Mark 14:72, Peter wept great tears of bitterness. He was deeply wounded and instantly convicted and cut to the heart. Now, this denial of Christ raises several important questions for you and I. First question is this, was this a betrayal? And the answer is no, it wasn't a betrayal. It was a denial, and there is an important distinction between Judas, who betrayed Jesus, and Peter, who denies Jesus. And one commentator describes this very well, and this is helpful to think about. He writes this, Judas deliberately betrayed Jesus, knowing it would kill Jesus. Peter, on the other hand, wanted to be with Jesus, but out of fear, perhaps, or momentary loss of faith, he denied Jesus. Be careful not to treat every denial as a betrayal. Be merciful with the weaknesses of other disciples. If God remembers that we are but dust, Psalm 103, 14, we should also remember that about others. 
Don't be too quick to judge. Peter, under the right circumstances, all of us would probably deny Jesus. We're frail. We're dust, just like Peter. Well, what led to Peter's denial? And the answer is probably overconfidence in the flesh. Consider the words of Matthew 26, 31 to 35. This is before this incident. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And then Peter, <laughs> Peter answers him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Overconfidence. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same. Peter was very, very confident in his flesh, in his ability to stand strong and be bold and courageous. Just like me and you, overconfident. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now this overconfidence often leads to prayerlessness, which is exactly what happened with Peter. Remember, in the garden, uh, several times Jesus says to the disciples, disciples, you must pray that you will not give in a temptation. Jesus leaves and comes back and they're all asleep and he wakes up and he says again, guys, you need to pray, pray that you'll stand strong. And they fall asleep again. And Peter was one of the main culprits. He was very tired, clearly, that night because he kept falling asleep, according to the parallel accounts in the other Gospels. Matthew 26, 40 to 42, specifically calls out Peter as one of the guys who keeps falling asleep and not praying. In other words, Peter assumed in that moment that his greatest need was sleep and not prayer. And again, we can do nothing apart from God's grace and power. And God's grace and power often comes to us as we cry out to him saying, God, please help me be bold and courageous and not deny you. I hope and pray that all of you right now are afraid that someday you may deny Jesus. That's a really good place to be because that's gonna force you to say, God, you need to help me. Please help me. Please strengthen me. Give me power and grace and boldness to open up my mouth and speak of you and not deny you in my moment of testing. This of course raises the obvious question. <laughs> How is our prayer life? If you're like me, it's probably not as robust as it should be. But again, we can do nothing. What does nothing mean? No thing. <laughs> Apart from the grace and power of Christ, Specifically, it's impossible for us in our own strength to open up our mouths and boldly stand for Christ when the pressure is on. We need his grace and power. Now the problem is, is that so many of us, you're like me, you don't currently see your need. Life is pretty easy, life is pretty good for most of us. And so we're often not aware of our tremendous weakness and need for God's grace through prayer. 
You and I will not stand when the moment of testing comes if we are not immersed in prayer. I often pray that God would help me and help this church grow in evangelistic boldness. And that only comes through supernatural Acts 2, Pentecost, Holy Spirit-infused power. And we need that desperately. Don't forget that part of being a Christian All of us Christians are called to a lifestyle of evangelism. All of us are called to obey the Great Commission, which says that we must go to the nations and make disciples, which means we have to open up our mouths and talk about Jesus, even though it may cost us everything. And everything means even our lives. And we can't do that apart from supernatural power. And Peter was overconfident, and he did not pray and ask God for grace and strength to stand when the moment of testing came. So please pray with me, pray for me. I'll pray for you that God would help all of us to not deny Christ with our words when the moment of testing comes. In many places around the world in 2024, believers face imprisonment, torture, and death. Embarrassment, ridicule, and material loss are the least of their worries. Yet, they stand boldly for Christ regardless of the cost. How? How in the world do they do it? Reliance on Christ in prayer. That's how. Well, when might we be tempted to deny Jesus? This week, at work, around the water cooler, at school, at the park, at the gym, among friends, among family, Don't raise your hands, but how many of you are hesitant to pray with your friends at a restaurant or a coffee shop, fearing someone may see us pray? Or how many of you are hesitant to open up your Bible and read it in a coffee shop, fearing that someone may see you reading your Bible and praying? I think if you're honest, many of you, like me, are sometimes hesitant to do things like that, fear of man. In our generation, there is tremendous pressure to deny Christ's teaching on gender and sexuality. And to deny Christ's teaching in these areas is to deny Christ, the whole Christ. We're called to worship Christ, the whole Christ, and embrace all of his teaching, even the offensive parts. There's also tremendous pressure to ignore the offensive parts of the gospel. Hell, repentance, a bloody cross, the necessity of taking up one's cross and following Jesus, the exclusivity of Jesus. Denying these things is too a denial of Jesus. Furthermore, when you and I are given clear opportunities to talk about Jesus and we don't take them, because we're afraid, in that moment, we're denying Jesus. In one sense, every time we sin, we are denying Christ's lordship in our lives. What are we afraid of in those moments? Embarrassment, ridicule, abuse, loss of position, loss of worldly friends, loss of promotion, promotion loss of income, loss of life. life. We must remember 
that this life is incredibly short and eternity is forever and it makes no sense to deny our Savior for a few fleeting moments of perceived safety as we stand on the precipice of eternity. Very soon, everyone here is gonna stand before the risen, reigning, and glorified King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in that moment, you're gonna wonder why in the world you were embarrassed of him. The one who spoke the universe into existence, the one that Hebrews calls a consuming fire. Don't deny Jesus for a few moments of perceived safety. One of my heroes in church history, Thomas Cramner, did that. Thomas Cramner of the 16th century was a fantastic, powerful, godly preacher in the English Reformation. Uh, He transformed lives all across England through his preaching and his writing. But then something happened. Uh, Bloody Mary, Mary I, became Queen of England. She was Catholic. He was Protestant. Her name was Bloody Mary because she killed so many Protestants. And when Bloody Mary became the Queen of England, she very quickly squelched all of Thomas Cramner's reform efforts. And she very soon arrested his two close friends, Nicholas Ridley and Thomas Hooper. And then six months later, uh, Mary, Bloody Mary forced Thomas Cramner to watch as she burned those two men alive at the stake. At that point, Thomas Cramner was in prison for being a Protestant. But when he was in prison, in a moment of weakness, under significant pressure, after just watching his close friends be burned alive at the stake, he recanted his Protestant convictions out of fear. Because he didn't want to be burned at the stake either. And it's hard to blame him. And then he was asked to make his recantation of his Protestant convictions public during church. So he shows up at Oxford Church in England and he's supposed to stand up and describe how he's converted back to the Roman Catholic faith. But instead, he gets up and he says, to my great shame, I denied my Lord. And I'm still a Protestant and I still believe that one is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And in that moment, you know what would happen? He was very quickly attacked and pulled down from the pulpit. And within minutes, he was tied to some logs with thousands watching, about to be burnt at the stake. And because he signed away his convictions with his right hand, he said, I'm gonna have this hand burned first in the fire. So he stuck out his hand for all to hear and said, Lord, with this hand I thee offended. And that hand was burned first, and then his whole body was consumed in the flames. For a moment, he thought that denying Christ would give him safety. But he realized that the flames of this world do not compare with the flames that burn forever in eternity. And I hope and pray that all of us have the courage of Thomas Cramner someday Why is denying Jesus so wicked? Well, every denial 
In fact, every neglect of Jesus downgrades his importance in our lives. Furthermore, denial and neglect ignore the identity of Jesus. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-glorious Son of God. In addition, denial shows that we fear people more than we fear God. And again, when we see Christ someday in all of his mediatorial glory, we're going to be shocked and amazed that we were even tempted to deny him for a second. Now, which texts are going to help us avoid denying Jesus? There's several. Let me read a couple of them to you. These are sober words. Mark 8, 38, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Matthew 10, 33, Jesus says, But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's the last thing you want on the day of judgment. 2 Timothy 1, 8, Paul says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. What else will help us avoid denying Jesus? You and I must strengthen our courage muscle. Courage is like a muscle. As we take little stands now, our courage grows stronger and stronger and stronger. For instance, inviting our friends to church, praying at a restaurant, opening your Bible at Starbucks, giving a non-Christian friend a Christian book that describes the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must make up our minds now that we will never deny Jesus. I was thinking this week about this and, and thinking... Uh, that often if you go to bed at night thinking, I may get up at five in the morning to work out, but I'll decide in the morning when I get up if I'm going to work out or not. How often does that go well? You have to make up your mind the night before. At five o'clock, I'm going to get up and I'm going to work out. If not, it's not going to happen. You can't decide in the moment. It won't work, usually. In a similar sense, we have to decide now. God, by your grace, I will never deny you. Give me the grace. Give me the strength. I'm weak in my own flesh. But please, help me. Give me courage to never, ever deny you. If we are not willing to talk about Jesus now, when the cost is mere ridicule, we're not going to talk about Jesus in the future when our jobs and our freedom are at stake. Well, after Peter denied Christ, what happened to Peter? A few weeks later, after Christ rose from the grave, he tracks down Peter. And we read this incredible story at the end of John, John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what, by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. It's no coincidence that since Peter denied Christ three times, Christ reinstates him into ministry, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep three times. No coincidence. This is very, very clearly Christ saying to Peter, amazingly, Peter, I love you and I forgive you. Yes, you denied me in my hour of greatest need. But I love you and I forgive you and I just died on the cross to remove the guilt and stain of all your sin, even the sin of denying me. Wow. What kind of God do we serve? A God who loves and forgives and reinstates into ministry those that rejected him and denied him. We serve a God of extravagant love, a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and a thousandth chances. We serve an amazing God who forgives and loves and forgives and loves. And if God can forgive Peter of this sin of denial, God can forgive you and me of any sin, no matter how great. Now in light of this, it's no wonder, it's not shocking that Peter suffered and died and was martyred for Christ. But before that, he wrote these amazing words that capture the essence of how he felt about Christ when he was forgiven. 1 Peter 2, 24 to 25. Speaking of Christ, Peter says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Let's pray together.